3rd of November 1989, Stockton Beach, New South Wales. There's a party for a 16-year-old at the Old North Stockton Surf Club. Plenty of booze, drugs and even sex. But one girl wouldn't make it home. Tonight is the case of murdered schoolgirl Lee Lee. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Well, officially, this is episode 100, but there are quite a few other special edition shows in there, but thanks for all the support over the past three years. It truly has been a journey. Now, tonight's an episode suggestion from Jason Chia. It's about the shocking events that happened on the night of the 3rd of November, 1989. Now, I will issue a warning to those that may be triggered by cases involving sexual violence or children. And tonight's references are from Sydney Morning Herald, the 5th of November, 89, 11th of November, 89, 28th of November, 1990, 19th of October, 96, 17th of March, 98, 1st of April, 98. Also, thanks to Kerry Kerry Carrington for emailing me her paper that she wrote with Andrew Johnson that was called Representations of Crime, Guilt and Sexuality in the Lee Lee Rape Murder Case. So let's get straight into it. This case happened 30 years ago this month. Lee Lee was born to Robert William Mears and Robin Lynn Maunsell on the 24th of July 1975. Her birth name was Lee Renia Mears but changed to Lee Lee after her parents divorced in 1982. Lee was the surname of her sister's father. At the age of four she moved in with her grandma but moved back with her mum after that divorce. Her early schooling was at St. Patrick's Catholic Primary in Swansea, Hamilton North Public School and St. Peter's Primary in Stockton. She then attended Newcastle High School. She enjoyed school and wanted to one day become a vet. She was a happy girl who, like I said, she enjoyed school, roller skating and going to the movies, a typical young teenage girl in the suburbs. She'd lived in the Housing Commission flats behind the Stockton Ferry Terminal, but in early 1989, she moved in with her mum, her stepdad Brad Sherman and her sister Jessie at a house on Fullerton Street, Fern Bay, which isn't far up the road. Now, this Stockton and Fern Bay area is about maybe a two and a half hour drive north of Sydney and it's right next to Newcastle. Stockton Beach is 32 kilometres long, stretching from Stockton up to Anna Bay. It's situated on a thin peninsula, which it sort of gives it a country town feel, and it's only got a population of a few thousand people. With a short ferry ride from Stockton Wharf, you could be in the heart of Newcastle in a few minutes. So Lee was in year eight at Newcastle High and she'd been invited to fellow student Jason Robertson's 16th birthday party to be held at the Old North Stockton Surf Club on the night Friday the 3rd of November 1989. Now, being a 16th birthday party 
well, back in the day at least, there was certainly going to be booze, drugs and some sex probably going on. If the 16-year-old mates of Jason couldn't get the booze themselves, they would get someone to buy it for them. Now, Lee was invited to this party and not to celebrate the birthday, she and a few other underage girls were invited by certain males with the sole intention to get them drunk and to have sex with them. The party was to be held, as I said, the old North Stockton Surf Club on Barry Crescent, which is on the beach side of Stockton, which is about a five-minute drive north of the ferry terminal and only about four minutes from Lee's place in Fern Bay. It's now a childcare centre. There was between 30 to 40 people at the party, mostly Year 10 students from the Birthday Boys Newcastle High. Now, this 30 or 40 people, look, the press pumped these numbers up to between 60 and 100 people. So exactly how many people were there, we don't know. I think it's more reliable that there's around 40, maybe a few more people. It was reported, though, that there were two 10-year-olds also at the party. There was a band playing called Cardinal Sin, and as the night went on, the partygoers were getting drunk, orchy bottle bongs were getting handed around for the kids to toke on cones and get stoned, and some were having sex out on the beach. The Age article called it getting legless, which I actually haven't heard for many a year, but yeah, getting legless. Jason Robertson apparently had organised for 20 cartons of beer for the party. Now, that's not bad for a 16-year-old. So, of course, if he didn't buy it, an adult, an adult did for him. Now, at this party, there was no adult supervision, which I guess you could expect even for a 16th birthday party. However, there were two self-appointed bouncers. That was 18-year-old Matthew Webster and 19-year-old Guy Wilson. Now, Lee went to the party with a girlfriend and a 15-year-old boy who has had his name suppressed. They met at Roberto's Pizza Bar where they all chucked in for a bottle of Jim Beam, which they mixed with Coke. It wasn't long before Lee was drunk and the 15-year-old boy was reported to have said, in reference to Lee, he says, I'm going to go and fuck. And by the way, Lee is a virgin. At this stage, Lee was extremely drunk and the boy had to carry her out to the beach at around 9 to 9.30pm. When Lee returned to the clubhouse, she was visibly distressed, bleeding between the legs and crying. For those that did come to her aid, asked what had happened to her and she told them that the 15-year-old boy had raped her. It's reported, she said, He fucked me. I think I'm pregnant and I'm bleeding. I hate him. He's a prick. So, from this, it's safe to say that whatever happened out on the beach with Lee and the 15-year-old boy was non-consensual sexual assault. Lee was not only drunk, but she's only 14 years old. But this won't be the only attack she'll endure on this night. Now, for the next part of this, I'm going to read directly from Kerry Carrington and Andrew Johnson's paper. Again, that was, you can you might be able to look it up online, The Representations of Crime, Guilt and Sexuality in the Lee Lee Rape Murder Case. So at this stage, Lee has just staggered back into the club after being raped by the 15-year-old. Now, the first assault, which occurred inside the clubhouse, entailed mostly verbal abuse of the victim, being Lee. The second assault which took place outside the clubhouse, involved the most boys. 
Now, that was somewhere between 6 and 10 and seemed particularly vicious. One eyewitness to this assault outside the clubhouse told police, I saw Lee Lee lying on the ground near the club with a group of seven or even more boys standing around her. Now, the witness actually names them, but I don't have that detail. These boys standing around Lee were spitting beer on her and kicking her around the ears. They were kicking her pretty hard. Other witnesses say these boys continue to brutalise her for about five minutes. One of the boys standing over Lee told police they all had twist tops in their hands and they were pouring beer over her head and body and yelling abuse at her like, you stupid bush pig slut and things like that. I walked over to her and said, get up you stupid bitch. I laughed at her but I didn't pour any beer on her. Another of these boys told police, while I was standing with them over Lee, I heard Matthew say things like, get that into you, you slut, and take that, you slut. Guy Wilson said the same things. Lee just lay there the whole time. She did not say anything, but she was rolling around. Another boy involved in the incident then describes what happened next. Everybody had stopped pouring beer over her and Lee Lee started to slowly get up and then staggered across the path and picked up an empty beer stubby. We were all still laughing about the beer spitting when she threw the beer bottle at all of us. I ducked and I think the other blokes ducked, but it didn't hit any of us. Guy Wilson threw a bottle back at her, which some witnesses say hit her in the legs, others say it missed. A short while later, Lee walked back into the clubhouse, followed by several of the same boys, where they again surrounded and brutalised her. According to witnesses, she'd been vomiting and looked quite ill. A group of young people watched. One witness identified as many as 13 people as these boys subjected her to a series of callous and degrading insults and taunts. One of her friends was seen trying to comfort her. The band stopped during the commotion. One of the band members even admitted in his statement to police that he joined the group assaulting Lee, pouring his beer over her. One witness to this third assault upon Lee told police, I would say that she'd been spat on about 20 times between the three guys and I think X spat and poured beer on her about four times. This happened over about three minutes. One of these boys told her she looked like a sewer rat. Lee then got up to walk outside. At that moment, Webster announced to the coterie of boys present the idea of a gangbang. One witness described it this way. Matt Webster came up to me and said, Wise already had two roots, one with Lee Lee, and she's a bit of a slut, and why don't all of us have a go? And why being one of the unidentified males? So then I put my arm around her as she was walking outside and I asked her if I could have a root and she said no. And then she walked off and she was on the ground and I seen people around her so I started pouring beer on her and then after a while I left and went and got me a carton. Several independent witnesses then saw Lee Lee walk off alone down the path to the beach. Now this was about 10.15pm. She met her death not far away and shortly after and it's believed somewhere between 10.20 and 10.30pm. 
Others at the party that witnessed this attack just stood by and watched. No one came to her aid. No one called police. No one called an adult. They just all stood by and watched this group of scum attack the defenceless 14-year-old. At around 10.15pm, Lee was seen leaving the clubhouse walking towards the beach, right? So Lee's stepfather, Brad, he came to pick her up from the party at 10.50pm, but couldn't find her, so he just assumed she'd gone home with one of her friends. Remember, this is 1989, and no such things as mobile phones. You would think one of the party attendees could have told him what had happened to his stepdaughter, but no, it looks like no one gave a fuck. Finally, after several attempts to find her, he decided to return home and wait for her. So out of the 60 or so party goes, we, again, we're not sure exactly how many people, maybe 30, 40, 50, 60, no one came to the aid of Lee when the group of blokes were abusing her and this, I think, must have affected them if they had even an ounce of humanity in their body. So by morning, Lee still isn't home. Her stepfather, Brad, knocks on the doors of a few of the people who were at the party asking if they'd seen her. Lee's mum called the home of Jason Robertson, whose party it was the night before, asking if he'd seen her. Jason then went down to the old surf club, and it's here he found her body. He said, it nearly made me sick. Lee was on her back, legs spread and drawn up, naked with her undies and shorts around her right ankle. She had on sand shoes and socks. Her damaged bra was nearby, as was her shirt and jumper, which were intertwined inside out and stained with booze, sort of like when you're trying to rip two things off at once. Salt bushes nearby were flattened and a 5.6 kilogram or 12 pound bloodstained rock was next to her. Bloodstains were found up to 2.8 metres from her body. An autopsy described her injuries as consistent with Lee having been struck several times with so much ferocity that the left-hand side of her face had been flattened. The cause of death was described as a fractured skull and brain injury. She had considerable bruising to other parts of her body, including the kidney, liver, ribs, neck, lower spine, knees and vagina. Lee sustained injuries to her genital organs consistent with having been brutally sexually assaulted. A team of 20 detectives were assigned to investigate the rape and murder of Lee Lee. But the town went silent. Out of the 30 or 40 kids at the party, and as I said before, the media made up to 100 people attended that night, only two sets of parents contacted police. Another case of don't get involved, the bystander effect, no one willing to help police, maybe in case it would incriminate their own kids. A lot of those that attended the party just stayed inside, they kept off the street, they weren't wanting to be seen, thinking that everyone was looking at them like they were some sort of rapist murderer. Anyway, 11 days later, three males, Matthew Webster, Guy Wilson and the 15-year-old, unable to be named male, were charged with incidents that occurred at that party, but not with rape or murder. Wilson and Webster were charged with assault and supply cannabis, while the 15-year-old male was charged with having sexual intercourse with a minor, carnal knowledge. Now let me be clear here, no one was charged with sexual assault. 
The 15-year-old was only charged with her being underage as if it was consensual, but of course she's unable to give consent because of her age, <laughs> not, not to uh, mention that she's drunk. He was not charged with a brutal rape that left Lee distressed, crying and bleeding afterwards. In fact, he admitted to having sex with another underage girl at that same party. Again, he's not charged with any offence. He eventually got a hundred hours community service. As the judge stated, the evidence obliged him to find that the sex was consensual and that it was better for him to do something positive for the community rather than possibly be led further astray in custody. So let's keep this 15-year-old little fucker on the streets just in case he goes inside and he might learn something off the real crims. Absolutely disgusting from the judge. Now, it looks like it was not a genius police investigation either that gave police strong leads into this Lee Lee case. Rather, it was big mouth and thug Matthew Fat Matt Webster, and he told his sister what went on that night, who told a friend at the hairdressers what went on, and then that got back to police. Webster had actually been photographed by journalists who interviewed him in the street. He was on his BMX, smiling and carrying on if the whole thing was no big deal. So on the 5th and 15th of November, Webster had been interviewed by police, but it wasn't until three months later, after the attack on the 16th of February 1990, that Webster admitted to the murder after being interviewed a third time by police. It took three months to charge him, even though everyone around town knew the fat Matt did it. Webster described the attack, and now here is again will be a strong trigger warning. Maybe fast forward a minute or so, because this is strong. Webster said, I went to look for my beers and I saw Lee sitting on the grass. My beers weren't there. Somebody must have pinched them. And then I walked up to Lee and she carried on with her normal shit and I tried to get it onto her. Then we walked down to the bushes and I pulled the clothes off and I pulled my shorts down and I put my finger in a pussy. I thought I was right for a route and then she started pushing me away saying don't. I lost my temper and I did what I did. She was punching and pushing and I grabbed her by the throat and she said don't and I choked her a bit. She stopped punching and I grabbed the rock and I killed her. I thought she would squeal on me for trying to rape her. Now, again, no other male at the party was charged with her rape and it was likely that more than one of those present that night did rape her. The fact she was murdered seemed to overshadow any other act of violence enacted upon Lee that night. So, in all, the 15-year-old male, he only got 100 hours community service for having sex with the person under the age of consent, Guy Wilson, one of the so-called bouncers there, he got six months for assault. Matthew Webster, he got 20 years for murder, but he was released in June of 2004 after serving only 14 years. Webster's sexual assault charges were dropped without explanation. Character witnesses at Webster's trial describing the 120-kilogram or 265-pound teenager as a quiet, gentle giant from a good family. 
Others called him Fat Matt the Thug of Stockton. In 1993, Lee's family was awarded $29,214 as victim compensation. Now, this was later increased. It was increased another $134,000. Now, police would be subject to criticism over the handling of this investigation. Why did it take so long to arrest the perpetrators? And the lack of proper forensic testing of evidence that may have incriminated others in Lee's murder. Also, the evidence that they did have, and that includes witness accounts, did not match Webster's confession that he acted alone. There would be a couple of reviews by the government in relation to how police handled this case, Now, I won't go into too much detail, but the first in 1996, the New South Wales Crime Commission, which basically said the crimes occurred pretty much the way they played out in court, that no further charges would be laid. It was critical of police procedures and practices, and it also raised the matter of Webster's confession not matching the evidence. In 1998, 26 people, mainly police, were interviewed at the Police Integrity Commission. Here, Webster gave evidence that he was punched and kicked by police until he confessed. Police were accused of threatening violence, falsifying reports and withholding evidence. In the end, the review recommended the dismissal of Detective Sergeant Chaffee, who was in charge of the investigation, and recommended criminal charges against five other cops. It also went into how Webster was falsely arrested and that the 15-year-old, who was not to be named, wasn't questioned about Lee's death at all. Now, when you look at this case, we've got to look at the media, the way it was portrayed too. They seem to want to blame Lee's mother for letting her child go out to a party which was likely to have alcohol and the term like she lost her innocence in the sand hills to describe where Lee was first raped and then staggered back in distress, crying and bleeding How's that for the media? She lost her innocence in the Sandhills. No, she was raped. The media, judiciary and police were trying to turn the victim into the offender and the offender into the victim. Webster, however, was supposed to be a shy and gentle young man lacking in self-confidence that he only behaved as he did because he was disinhibited by alcohol and drugs. No. Webster was just a violent piece of shit, along with his mates and most of the others at the party that night. Lee was just a 14-year-old girl on her first night out ever at a party, just trying to fit in and have a good time. Unknown to her, she was only invited there so that Webster, Wilson and a bunch of fucking schoolboys could brutally rape, humiliate and eventually murder her. There is probably still evidence in existence that if tested with today's techniques could probably bring justice to the others. I did read that when a bunch of Polaroids taken on the night were looked at years after the event, and don't forget Polaroids were about the instant camera of the day, that the people in those photos when identified were either in prison, hopeless drug addicts or just plain no-hopers. Now, another thing that, was in, that impeded the investigation for, 
for police was that once the news of Lee's murder got around, the parents of those that attended the party told their kids to shut the fuck up. Along with unreliable witnesses, this made it difficult in the early stages to find out what happened on the night of the 3rd of November 1989. As I said before, Stockton is the end of a peninsula, and other than being spitting distance from the main town of Newcastle by ferry, it's actually a 20-kilometre or so drive all the way around into town. This gives it a sort of cut-off feel, like an island. And I suppose what happens in Stockton stays in Stockton. That sort of mentality. The residents of Stockton didn't want the perpetrators to actually be from their community. I mean, what happened that night could only be enacted by those from Newcastle proper. Robin and Brad, Lee's mother and stepfather, they ended up leaving the area because of the the attitude they got from the residents of Stockton. Like victim blaming at its worst. In fact... What it was on that night was a pack of mongrels with absolutely no respect planning and enacting such disgusting acts that if Lee hadn't been murdered by one or more of them, then she would have certainly been traumatised for life. Lee wasn't the only one to be treated like that. It looks like this had been going on for years. Girls, very young girls. And in one news report, they were termed baldies, which is a term for the year seven and year eight girls that the boys joked, all you got to do is get them pissed. It's just this sick rape culture perpetrated by these local young males. This did happen 30 years ago, and I hope since then children and young adults are more empowered to stand up to this kind of bullshit or step in when they see something's wrong. Our thoughts go out to the family and friends of Lee Lee, who I'm sure are still suffering from her rape and murder to this day. So that's about all I got to say on that case. It did bring the rage out. And we just hope that the karma bus comes and picks some of those attendees of that party up and does what it will. So that's the end of another show, the 100th episode before we get onto the patreon don't forget i've got a youtube channel it will be getting a proper hard launch probably in the new year january i'm just getting the set right testing all the lighting you can sub now as there are a couple of audio cases on there but i'll let you know when it's ready to roll i'll probably take those cases down as we put the videos on proper so i had a new patrons this week i'm not sure if i did the, this one last week or the week before anyway thank you crystal eggling Thank you so much for your support and thank you so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference. And as you know, True Crime Island is totally listener supported. I keep it ad free. As you know, I don't like them and neither do I. I actually had approaches from three different companies last week and I said no. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and check out the levels and rewards. If you don't want to do a monthly payment, you can buy me a beer at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. I'd love that. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels and fantastic tote bags. Of course, my favourite was always the Mug of Rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. 
Remember, listeners, don't order the black mugs. I do have keychains, lapel pins, stickers, which you need to contact me directly for. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com, and that is also the best way to contact me personally for anything else, such as case requests or just to say boom fuckalunga. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook messaging isn't really the best way, I can tell you that. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family, and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, show them what a podcast is because it's just not my show. In fact, you might not like my show. You might like something like Case File might be more your thing. Anyway, and you know who I'm talking about. Search for True Crime Island again on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join the closed group group on Facebook. I think we nearly got 2,000 people, which isn't many, but it's nearly there. Jason Abercrombie said we should give something away when we get to 2,000. So, yes, I think we will give away a T-shirt or something. Now, this week, I haven't got a promo lined up because it sort of got a bit late this afternoon, but next week we'll probably have a promo for another podcast. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James and I've been your host Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island and as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Night, boom fuckalunga. <laughs>